This podcast was produced in association with FunEmploymentRadio.com. Welcome once more, nerds, geeks, and gamers, to the Well-Adjusted Gamer Podcast. It is currently April 1st, the Day of Fools, Adult Swim Memes, and Tales of Christian Zombies. And this week on the show, Meatbag Pipes were blessed by the presence of Portland royalty, the Unipiper, and his alter ego, Brian Kidd. We, of course, talk video games, but also the origins, highlights, and future of the Unipiper. As for the usual spiel, like the show on Facebook and Twitter using Podcast, and forward your favorite gaming-related April Fool's announcements to wagpodcastpdx at gmail.com. Also, I swear I will actually get back into streaming someday, but schedules, man. Schedules. You could also keep up with the Unipiper on all of the social medias. Just look up the Unipiper. He's got tons of awesome merch and makes lots and lots of appearances around Portland and at the best nerdy events that come through town. Also, a little shame disclaimer. I said something about Insomniac making a Star Wars game. I don't know what the hell that was. Maybe wishful thinking? That is definitely not happening. Um, EA holds the license to Star Wars right now, so look forward to more of them cashing in and pissing all over your favorite things. You want my body? This is the Well-Adjusted Game of Podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage Portland's favorite personality, the first person to ever combine nerd culture, costumes, bagpipes, and fire, Brian the Unipiper Kid. How the heck are you, sir? Really? That guy's here? Where? Where? Where is he? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. It's great to be here. Welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, looking forward to talking about video games and nerdy stuff from all of our different interests and pursuits throughout the years here that checks off all of my interests right there perfect awesome so why don't we start with the eight foot tall dark helmeted character in the room the unipiper (laughs) (laughs) so he's he's eight feet tall with the unicycle so well maybe yeah and counting the fire too (laughs) and the fire yeah the flames get up there so so for our out-of-towners who might be less familiar with it and wondering what the heck you're talking about right now unipiper explain just what is he you know, I, I, tell, I like to tell people that a f- it's a lot easier with a photo or a video. Mm-hmm. Just if you're at a computer, just Google Unipiper. Yes. Um, but if you don't have access, I'll try to explain it. You know, I so what I do in Portland, of course, um, is ride a unicycle through town uh, while playing bagpipes mm-hmm. that are on fire. Yes. Uh, and oftentimes dressed as various. In costumes or as different characters, uh, Darth Vader, perhaps my most well-known costume, mm-hmm. um, and and this is just a thing that that I've been doing in Portland for uh, over a decade now. Man, that's awesome! 
and it is Willamette Week had they have their annual like best of Portland and it's a a reader vote so it's all public opinion basically and what two years now two years running best local celebrity so awesome the Unipiper that guy yep universally loved and adored and it is crazy. And here we are talking on uh, the Portland's favorite podcast network, right? Fun Employment Radio. Oh, man. It's all coming together. You <laughs> see how these things work? Uh, it's, a, it's a magnet. Um, but it is, it's, it's insane that your renown for it is, is very well known. I mean, you say it, and generally everybody I ever bring it up to knows. Even people from, like, East Coast know of the Unipiper because it's, it's part of the internet zeitgeist where it just it gets out there and it's especially i I think the the biggest one was the the hoth battle recreation (laughs) from this christmas right right that exploded i never have like a plan for these things Mm -hmm. i'm I'm always i I will do something and then be like man how am i gonna top that and i feel like i've really backed myself into a corner this time So if people haven't seen this one, uh, so I, I took this concept of, you know, what I do. But then um, instead of dressing like Darth Vader, I dressed like uh, a rebel pilot mm-hmm. and attached a tow cable to my unicycle <laughs> and got this eight foot, uh, I don't know, it might be taller than that, blow up um, holiday ATAT yep. and just rode around it with my flaming bagpipes playing the Star Wars theme yeah. and took out this blow up ATAT and like I was could not believe it. That was a one take video. And when it fell over, it just it did it so it, perfect. And, and just like you know, it kind of <laughs> leaned forward, just like the the movie. Yeah. I was like, yes, yes, it was all there. And that is like definitely look that up on YouTube because it's <laughs> it was amazing. When I saw it, just the 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 thumbnail of it's like, oh my god, this is gonna be great, <laughs> man. So through the years, you've had dozens of different costumes that have come up with it too run us through some of your favorites with that because there are literally dozens you google unipiper and it is it's just a a smattering of yes you've got vader you've got um oh what was see, monty I, python and the holy grail I, i've done a monty python i love that one <laughs> that's um, great because i for some reason like dressing up as king arthur from monty python and the holy grail and then having these somehow the unicycle and the flaming bagpipes don't seem out of place no. when it's monty python no not at all it's <laughs> So what skit did you grab that from? Okay, no. That, it is. It's perfect. And then you had your partner coming along with the clop of the coconut yes, shells. my wife uh, much <laughs> begrudgingly playing the role of Patsy with the coconuts. Uh, let's see. I've, I've done um, a Lord of the Rings dressed as Gandalf. Oh, yeah. That's yep. right. That Doing that uh, won me the Hobbit fan of the week back when the first <laughs> Hobbit movie was coming out. They oh, were God. running a contest and <laughs> somehow they found that video and they were like, this guy is... <laughs> oh man! You didn't have to enter. They found you. Right. Perfect. Oh, um, and then, of course, uh, video games are are a big part of the Unipiper too. It's mm-hmm. just all the things that um, I love combined into this one creative outlet. It's the Unipiper for me. Right. So you know, I've done uh, dressed up like Mario, and th- that was amazing one time. So I was uh, what, what show? It was at uh, Wizard World mm-hmm. uh, Comic Con in Portland last year. They had um, uh, the voice of Mario, oh, um, uh, Charles Martinet, I believe. Mm-hmm. This sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was there, and so he uh, I was riding around like Mario, and he saw me and so he was like can i have you uh perform in like uh 
intro and, and be my uh, play right before I take the stage and do my Q&A. Oh, my God. So I got to do that uh, That's for great. him. And th- that was like an honor. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And, like being knighted. Yeah. Being knighted by Mario. <laughs> yeah. And then having him come up behind me and be like, Yahoo! Oh, man. <laughs> That is great. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, oh, the last year I did, I also did a, uh, I dressed up like Scorpion and had a friend dress up like Sub-Zero mm-hmm. and then played the Mortal Kombat theme on the bagpipes. <laughs> that was it. I saw you do that at um, the Retro Gaming Expo, I think. Yeah. 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 That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that was fun. I remember talking about it on here because it was one of those things where you can hear you coming before you see you. Like, so that's, that's some weird sentence structure. So, but... <laughs> Like, you'll hear them coming before you ever see them, and you just know, like, oh, God, here it comes. Because you, you hear it, and then you recognize the song, and then you see them come around the corner, and it's just like, ah, it's it's too perfect. It's great. I've had a lot of people tell me, you know, like, oh, my gosh, I was in Portland, and I heard bagpipes, and, and I got excited, and then it was just like a regular bagpiper. Aw, <laughs> boo. <laughs> nobody, nobody wants to see that. So that's what I'm doing. I'm setting up people for uh, disappointment when mm-hmm. they visit Portland now, and oh, they hear good. bagpipes. Right. Yeah, in um, in my hometown, there was a an old fire truck, and every Christmas it would come around with Santa Claus on it. But they would play the old timey siren, the kind of like the one that sounds like an air raid. Horn. Yeah, exactly, like that type of thing. So every time you hear that, you kind of get the the Pavlov effect too, of like, oh my god, it's Santa! <laughs> we got to run outside and see him. Like ice cream truck thing. Yeah, it's totally that. So there's. <laughs> A Pavlov's dog response for the Unipiper up here, which yeah, is great. Yeah, to bagpipes in Portland. <laughs> oh, man. And then there's Sasquatch, too. All the classics. Yeah, Sasquatch has performed on the gong show last year. Oh, that's so great. Um, another one, too, that I've seen now is the... So you do a few with the balance balls. Yes. So you've got... Uh, a Charmander and what's the other one here? Uh, so I, I did a BB-8 where that's it. Yep. I, I have this. Um, I don't know. It's probably three, four foot high uh, ball that I stand on and balance. So I painted it like the ball of BB-8, <laughs> and then I made a helmet to look like BB-8's mm-hmm. head standing oh, on the ball. So awesome. And then later I saw. Uh, I, I swear they stole my idea, but they, now you can buy a bicycle helmet that looks like mm-hmm. BB-8's oh. head. Now you are on like the leading edge of a lot of things with your designs because I was working on a thing the other day a couple weeks ago of like my logo trying to figure out what to put on shirts at some point and just use you know in general media and stuff so I've got like my angry explosion face icon that I've been using for stuff I thought like oh this would make a great like NES box cover (laughs) and lo and behold guess who already has yeah no you've definitely got like (laughs) that's right (laughs) yeah oh where's the cameras come on he's wearing his own branded Unipiper NES themed 8-bit cartridge cover kind of I, I don't yeah, know yeah. <laughs> this idea came about uh, at my uh, beer release party last year my Unipiper beer <laughs> we were we were uh, releasing the Uniporter mm-hmm. and uh, I, I wanted uh, coasters for the beer release and so I had the idea that oh my gosh uh, an NES cartridge would be the perfect size and design yeah. for a coaster oh. so I, I had those made and then had a little 8-bit Unipiper put on oh, it oh it's so great and uh and then I was also giving away the leftovers at the Portland Retro Game Show mm-hmm. uh, last year, and that, that was a Oh, hit. man. Dang it. I missed out on that. Aww. I might have a couple with me. Ooh, here we go. Awesome. No, like I said, the designs are great. And then you've got socks, too, because Portland. 
Yes, you can oh. get eight bit Unipiper socks uh, made locally here in Portland at one of our two uh, sock makers in town. Man, because Portland, only Portland, I swear. And that is that's that's one of your favorite themes is keep Portland weird or actually make Portland weird again. Yes, right? <laughs> yes, because uh, we're always in danger here. Yes, the normal is moving in more and more every day. Sorry, I know I'm part of that <laughs> terrible person, but that's a that's a thing too. I've, like. Have we ever figured out what the percentage is of natural-born Portlanders? I don't know exactly, but I did hear the statistic that one in five people currently living in Portland were born in California. Yeah. Oh, wow. Crazy. I mean, that's... I could go through my list of friends and probably match that exactly. (laughs) Because it's... Nothing wrong with that, though. No. I mean, it's it's the natural progression, but it is, it's become a mecca. And I think it's always become a mecca for outsiders and, and people that don't follow the mainstream. Right. And well, it's interesting. You know, the reason why people would come to Portland, I feel like, is constantly changing. Yeah. Um, that's and, true. And now some of those people that came to Portland 20 years ago are, you know, looking for other places. And it's, yeah. it, it is an interesting time to be in Portland right yeah. now. And I, I know I've suffered through this before as well the the growing pains because it happened in my little sleepy town back home where people from the bay area started buying houses in our neighborhoods because they were one-tenth of the price of right. living in the bay area and yeah i'll drive two hours to work every day i don't care as long as i don't have to pay for a million dollar house that mm-hmm. i'm never in so that that totally upside downed our economy there but I mean, it's yeah, it's, it's just, change. It's inevitable. We just yeah. have to make sure we do it in a responsible way that preserves our weird heritage. Right, and it's it's already bit him in the butt with the the kind of lazy lawmaking that allowed all these like brand new high rises. Oh my goodness! With no parking <laughs> and almost no thought, you know, put into where they go no. and what it looks like. Nope, nothing. Just yeah, just build this. 10-story tall thing with retail underneath because we can. And I, that's I, it. Man, I ride right through <laughs> that strip on Burnside with all those yeah. condos going up every day on my way mm-hmm. to work. And just watching the people like lug furniture up into their brand new condo, it feels like move-in day at college. It's yes. so weird. It's everybody's moving into the dorms. Yes. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. So speaking of the future, where does it go from here with the the Unipiper? Is there like a a roadmap? Is is there goals or just kind of take it as it comes? I've never had a roadmap, and I think uh, it has served me well. Yeah. Um, I I can tell that uh, I'm not at the end of this journey, Mm -hmm. but I don't know where it's headed. And uh, in a way, that makes me really happy and excited Mm -hmm. um, because uh, I have already been able to do – this was nothing – like I just said, I had no plan to start with. And seeing what I've been able to do with this seemingly um, silly and fun routine has been uh, such a joy. And um, people in Portland seem to really like it. And so Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to keep doing it and keep – as long as people keep liking it and I keep having fun doing it. Um, and uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see where it goes. But uh, I have no no intention of slowing down. Good. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a good – that's a good roadmap in and of itself. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, that's part of this whole – some of the goals of this podcast is just defining a career path or if you find your, your kind of niche and what to do with it and how to get to where and sometimes just let it breathe. And just do it and see where it goes as opposed to saying, like, setting specific goals. Okay, by this time next year, I want to be X, Y, Z, or I need to have this, that, and the other thing. You honestly can't ever control that stuff. Like, yeah, it's good to have goals, but at the same time, you don't have to 
paint yourself into a corner either. Yeah, let it do its thing. Yeah, that's awesome. So obviously nerd culture is a big part of your life. But yes. the more I see and hear from you, the more identical our childhoods end up sounding. So <laughs> we are both 80s kids and we are both, I'm assuming, the Oregon Trail generation. Yes. As opposed to millennials because we're the, the in-betweeners. That... Yeah. You know, I, I do not. I, I hate when people identify, when I hear people identify me as a millennial. Yes. It's like sends chills down my back in a bad way right yeah because there's there's many negative connotations to that that title and oh god no please you know we we did grow up with technology but Mm -hmm. it wasn't a given you know it it was we used technology it was like special occasions right and we saw that it could be a tool you know you didn't have to use it all the time and i feel like that's the line separating us from that next generation is when it was just everything was technology all the time right yeah because for us we got to see and be a part of the birth and kind of growth and everything of these new technologies before they really became a part of our lives like born into houses where computers were not a thing cell phones were not a thing they they didn't exist we still had the the rotary dial phones everywhere (laughs) yes and, and pay phones out on the street that i prank called information on one day and asked him is Darth Vader really Luke's father? Like those days are that's that's different. That's that's something else entirely. Like having to call home with a collect number. Oh my god, yeah. I mean that was geez, that was a, a like a, a lightning flash too in our in our timeline of the one eight hundred collects. Yeah, we have seen so much and we've pretty much seen the complete rise from nothing of the home video game uh, yeah. whole industry. Right. Um, I don't know what what was your first uh, home video game system. So I I don't really remember it, but I swear it was probably before my time. But my dad once told me that my grandparents had a big projector screen and burned the outline of Pong into it from playing it so much. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so somehow it has been a part of like three generations now of my family. But yeah, I was born into that. I know we had like a 2600 Atari, but then when we got the NES and my parents split, so I had an NES in each house <laughs> at, at some point, like, oh yeah, that that was me. And then onto Sega, I was a Sega kid from then on and then PlayStation, but, and then yourself? Yeah. The, so I, my dad had a Commodore 64 Ooh. before I was born. Yeah. Um, the, so, the other, other way to go. Yes. So Man. I, you know cut my teeth uh with the commodore 64 man um and uh at my uh aunt and uncle's house they had an atari 2600 mm-hmm. so th- there was some of that and then i skipped out on the uh nintendo um i i went straight to uh genesis okay um so i i was uh sega for one generation mm-hmm. and, and um and then i had a n64 and then oh, switched yeah. over to nintendo after that yeah and then I, I had grew up with PCs too, yeah, and, and did the computer gaming as well. PCs were always the hard one because they've always been super expensive to get anything like new and current is always it's always been prohibitive. Yep. And like everything I always got was hand me downs from my mom's work. So like my first PC, <clears throat> I can't remember what like console gaming was like. I, I'm assuming it was probably like Genesis era. 
but ended up getting an old IBM with the big five and a half, five and a quarter floppy yeah. disks and everything, and trying to get games running on that where you have to actually put in manual commands like right. writing launch, code. Or launch, something. Yeah, yeah. It, it, to launch a game is like writing <laughs> yeah, code, exactly. Yes, it was insane. And the only games that I got working on that thing, I had like a, a Mario Brothers, <laughs> the original like arcade game where you're flipping over the turtles uh-huh. and stuff, and then uh, Ninja Turtles 2, like the arcade game. DOS version with no sound. <laughs> the was, really dumbed down yes. uh, yeah, graphics. Oh, it was so weird, but it, like, yeah, just just such an odd time. That was the other weird thing about PC games at that time is that there were so many different kinds of PC and you had to yes. have a different version of the game for each one of those different, it was like the Amiga yes. and the IBM right. and the CD-ROM and the Talkie. Yeah, yeah, because you, you do, you go up, I remember looking through the stores and I always had like a, a list in my mind of like, okay, I've got VGA graphics, right? And you <laughs> this had f- resolution, this type of disc that I have to get, and oh, it was so complicated and weird. You had to know, you know, it, it was there was a, somewhat of a technological barrier to entry oh, for totally. the common folk. Yeah, oh, that was, and that that kind of separated, you know, for a while. There, PCs, you know, the gaming PC gaming was seen as more, even more of a geeky thing, right? Yeah, because it did. It took so much more investment just in <laughs> in the basics of it. It wasn't just plug it into a TV and go. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that is. That's that's deep nerd stuff. <laughs> I'm glad I was a part of it, though. I mean, because that's that's something that that can't be replicated now. No. And, you know, the, the uh, everything I learned from troubleshooting and all that is, you know, what taught me computers to start with. Yeah. It wasn't like I bet you probably didn't. I didn't. I know I didn't have like a computer class in high school or anything. We had a, our computer lab that I definitely spent a lot of time in as of fourth grade. Yeah. So, yeah. And actually, I think there was a couple before that, too. Like there's a summer school or something I went to that they had like old like green screen oh, computers yeah. and it's like yeah the, so it's always been there like on the the border but yeah not like again not like today where kids are almost expected to have a phone and a tablet to take to school it's uh, they're it, talk about a, that's going to be a weird generation I don't too. think we would recognize school today like and how technology is integrated I. I would think that, but I know there's there's still some because of budgets and stuff. Some are s- still like hobbled to where yeah, you'll have a, a school down the street that's got tablets for everybody instead of books mm-hmm. or computers in every classroom, and then the other one at the other end of the block that has nothing like that. That's still kids with sixty pound backpacks full of books <laughs> and crap, like lugging them to and fro. But oh yeah, it's it's weird. It's going to be a a funny thing to see. As we go forward, like already there's been like the the I love the 80s type stuff, but there's going to be a weird renaissance thing for our generation, like where they go back and actually like look and analyze like, what was this? This this weird little pocket reality where technology was here, but not, but was and isn't. And I mean, it it because it, for me, like going back to that computer stuff, I feel like I don't know how big kids are nowadays into tearing stuff down breaking things and putting them back together well things like, today aren't made to be torn down as right. much like i'm not i can't even take the battery out of my cell phone yes. and that frustrates the hell out of me <laughs> right no i i actually just did that with my wife's and my phone both of them were getting long in the tooth like bad cameras stuff not working so i actually did like bought like ten dollar components off of amazon and put on my my face mask and rubber gloves and, and entered the dust-free room and yeah started tearing apart with literally a guitar pick 
yeah. to break the seal and try to get in there. And then, yeah, snapping stuff apart. It's just like, oh, my God. Like, it's it's nerve-wracking, to say the least. But it can be done with some of them. Not anything by Apple. But <laughs> <laughs> and especially now, though, they've really gotten away from it with the waterproof phones. Mm-hmm. That, no. Yeah, you're not, you're not getting in there. No. And if you do, it's going to, like, split in half and be broken forever. You'll have to tape it back together. Which is sad because, totally. you know, it, it's encouraged that hacker generation. <clears throat> right. You know, it's technology is supposed to do one thing, but what else can we make it do? Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's one of those things, um, something that one of my friends indirectly taught me about how we learn. He was talking about his, like, advanced algebra class. And literally, like, asked his teacher one day, like, when the hell are we going to use this? And the teacher's like, honestly, probably never. But that's not what it's about. It's the way your brain solves these problems. It's how you learn and think about these these formulas and stuff that matters down the road. Exactly. Because that's, that's a different type of thinking that you wouldn't get otherwise. Well, same difference here. That this type of thinking of something's broken, I don't just throw it away and get another one. Let's figure out what's wrong with it. Let's figure out how it works and how that leads into different thought processes that new kids might not get now. That would be a really fun idea for a toy on Kickstarter to make this like electronic box that the, the whole point of the toy is like figuring out how to take it apart yeah. and, and not Ooh. giving any instructions with yeah. it, but just saying here do something with this and letting kids just yeah. play with it and <clears throat> seeing what they can find. That'd be great because there are the kits out there where, I mean, yeah, you get all the components and you can put it together and make it. It's like a Lego kit for right. electronics, but like you're saying, have something that's already complete and working. Yes. But now you're encouraged to take it apart, figure out how it works, what's going on inside it. And, and give the them ways you to can, say, that, I bet you could do this yes, with, with this. How you, you can, can manipulate yeah. it. And oh man, that'd be a fun toy. It It, it would. Yeah, it makes me think of the the circuit bending stuff that's out there. The like where you get a Pikachu and make it sound like a, a demon that's <laughs> possessed it just by shorting out some things and putting metal screws on the outside to touch and short out. Oh, that's great. <laughs> um, going back to the video games, though, what were some of your favorite games and series growing up? What what was like the most the ones that laughed, uh, left a bit of their pieces on my soul. Right. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you still hear the soundtracks to so many just on infinite repeat in your mind. Like oh, every yeah. time there's no sound outside, like, oh, yeah, there's Sonic the Hedgehog 2, the freaking chemical zone. Yeah, great. <laughs> I, so, uh, well, right off the bat, right there, I, I was a Sonic fan, you yes. know, had the oh. Genesis, so it was Sonic 1, 2, and 3, and mm-hmm. Sonic and Knuckles with the oh my God. lock one technology. Right? So awesome. <laughs> it was. Um, I think my absolute favorite game of all time and maybe series is um, uh, The Secret of Monkey Island. Ooh, yeah. Uh, classic LucasArts adventure mm-hmm. games. Point like, and click. Loved every single one of those. Yeah, those are great. That's uh, that's a big thing now, too. Huge resurgence with those, or resurgence with the adventure games and the puzzle games. Like, well, they lend themselves <clears throat> so well to playing on, like, a phone or a tablet. Because yep. that's essentially one giant point, touch yeah. and click screen. <laughs> Born for it. Decades yeah. early, but yeah. Yeah, so that has been fun to see that kind of resurgence mm-hmm. and see those games kind of uh, a, a new interest in them. Right. And then the how Telltale, I, I think they're actually like going under now. But I they've heard been doing something that for, about that too. Probably just got too big for their britches and mm-hmm. made a bunch of 
bad investments or bad loans that they can't pay back or something, but because they've been doing well. Like, those games sell like crazy. Everybody played every Telltale game that came out. Oh, oh right. So I... This, there it was, must there was have obviously weird. been poor management there. Yeah, business stuff, which unfortunately plagues the industry. Yep. Just, ugh, because it's not a, a lack of talent or new ideas. As, as much as we like to complain about the rehashes and the infinite, like, I'm playing Far Cry 5 right now, like... <laughs> Yes, I, I get that that's a thing that it, it does suck to a degree, but at the same time, there's not a lack of the other side of it. Like mm-hmm. we're, There's definitely a lot of unique and new experiences still coming, but at a cost, unfortunately. Yeah. But those those are good. Those fit into that vein. Yeah. So I, I really liked, um, I like games with a story, mm-hmm. um, uh, adventure games, and uh, I, horror games are the other genre that i really like so resident evil was the other (laughs) big deal yeah that's a that's a big deal for me um two of course i mean resident evil 2 is that was the first one that i played and i was so upset because um at that time you know i went down the nintendo path i didn't have a playstation uh, but then they released uh, resident evil 2 on nintendo 64 Uh and that was my introduction to resident evil and from that moment i was hooked oh yeah and uh, I didn't get a chance to play any other games until the next generation uh, mm. when I got a Dreamcast and then they started <laughs> releasing the Resident Evil games on, on Dreamcast. So probably Code Veronica, I think, first. And then, yep. and then they did released, 4 come out on Dreamcast? No, but they, they re-released 3 on... Oh, okay, um, Nemesis, yeah. So I remember, this is oh. funny, uh, after playing 2 and then... Uh, so, so right when 2 was released on the Nintendo 64, mm-hmm. that was sh- right before they released 3 on the PlayStation. And yeah. I remember being really bummed that I couldn't play because I didn't have a PlayStation. <laughs> yep. So what I did at the time, I went out and uh, rented it from Blockbuster. Yes, sir. And I plugged it into my PC and like the very first PlayStation emulator oh, on bleem. a PC. Bleem. Yes. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so I, you had one that worked, though? Well, it, it kind of worked. Okay. Dang it. Yeah. It, I couldn't really get past the first screen. No. But, <laughs> oh, oh, God. But I, darn it, I tried. Right? Man, that's that's good effort right there. It My was. God. Yeah, I, I remember being so intrigued by that back then. And only now, like within the last month or two, did I ever get to actually play full emulated games on a PC from the PlayStation era. Mm. Only now. And that was, what, 20 years ago at yep. least? Like. It, it didn't take that long to get there, but that's how long it took me to get back to being able to actually do it, which, oh my god. So the one other PlayStation game that I really wanted to play um, that, that I didn't, because I didn't have a PlayStation, mm-hmm. was uh, Chrono Cross. Yeah. Because um, I'd played tr- Chrono Trigger, Chrono Trigger mm-hmm. uh, on, on my the... friend's uh, Super Nintendo. <laughs> and that one, I made it through, it was, I think it was the game came on like four discs. Mm-hmm. And I played through the first two discs successfully on Bleem on my um, PC Man. in college. Yeah. And then, like, disc three just didn't work. And so, to this day, mm. one of these days, I'll go back and finish right. it. But this, to yeah. this day, that's, like, unresolved. I never finished Chrono Cross. Oh, my God. That's, yeah, that's brutal. I mean, God, put that on the list of games that people never finished. <laughs> <laughs> the games that, I, that somebody has started and not finished is exponentially bigger than the list that anybody's actually finished. Yes. God. I am the type of personality, though, where, like, I'm a little bit OCD, Mm -hmm. and I... 
unless it's really bad, I feel a need. I feel compelled to finish a game. Yeah. So instead of playing like 50 games at once and, you know, partially, mm-hmm. I will just pick one or two and just play them oh, to completion. Yeah. I, I think that's part of our wiring from our generation, too, because you got like one or two games a year. You had nothing else to play, right? So, right, <laughs> yeah, it's it's so not you, an issue. Like. You played the game, and then after you played the game, you found the cheat codes and you mm-hmm. know figured out how to break the game. Right. Getting back into taking things apart, we would do that with yeah. our games. And I was thinking about that, and that I I miss the fact that you don't really have cheat codes anymore. Um, not like and, we used to, and there's not like secrets, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's a weird thing because games are so entwined with like online multiplayer now that yeah. the concept of a cheat code doesn't work. No. Because it, um, it, it ruins the balance of everything. Yeah. It's man. it's a different... Um, I, I don't know. People... Let's just say gamers growing up now don't have that same perspective no. of what a game even is that right. we did. Yeah. Well, it's... I mean, yeah, it's the Konami code, right? I mean, <laughs> that's the first thing you do when you fire up an NES game is try the Konami code <laughs> and see what, what happens. It's... Yep. Yeah, that, that world is gone where, I don't know, it's like there is no cheat code for Dark Souls to make it easier. <laughs> <laughs> but they, I love when they do throw in the little Easter eggs. Like there's um, in the Ninja Gaiden, like PS2 era game, there was a, like a, what, Ninja Dog mode or something? Like if you died like three times in a row it put it on like stupid easy mode it's like you're not good enough just stop like it's just rude but like oh yeah that's, i love that's when when uh humor is you know i i love funny games but humor is so hard to do well in mm-hmm. games but i love it when they can you know do a fourth wall break and you yes. can pull it off well yes like that. it's actually good um one of the funny ones that that made me think of was um marvel versus capcom I think it was th- Marvel vs. Capcom 3 when they added Deadpool mm-hmm. and one of his hyper attacks, he would break the life bar off the top of the screen and hit the person <laughs> with it. That's really good. It's like, that's perfect. That's that's that kind of stuff. That perfect yeah. fourth wall humor. Oh, it is so good. But you could also use that. Um, they've used that to, to horror as well. Um, mm, something yeah. like Eternal Darkness. Um, oh, I don't know yeah. if you ever played that. I've heard of it. I know it's like one of the trippiest experiences. Right, because um, you have a sanity meter. And mm-hmm. as your sanity meter depletes, the game just starts doing things to, to not like necessarily mess with your performance in the game, but to mess with you as the player, right. like the screen will um, go black and then it'll just say like video one in the corner, like yes. old TVs yeah. did, oh. um, and just weird things happening like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then I mean that's like the Metal Gear Solid too, uh-huh. Psycho Man. That's the other one I was thinking of. Oh boy, like literally the first time my friends and I played that and got to Psycho Manus, when it went to Hideo, <laughs> instead of video, like you said, when it goes to the little green logo or whatever, <clears throat> we literally said, what the hell? <laughs> like, went to, like, check cables on the yes. TV. Like, what what's going on? What happened? Like, it, it literally worked. Like, oh. <laughs> you got to give them credit when they're able to pull that off. Yes, that was nuts. And then the earliest one that I could think of was X-Men on the Genesis. Okay. When you went to, they had a, like, three quarters of the way through, there was a level, you were in Mojo's World, which is like a future area, all kinds of weird crap. You get to the end of it, you beat the boss, 
and then it says you have to reset the computer you're in like an empty room there's nothing and on any wall or anything you literally had to reset the console what you reset the console in the middle of the game like push the reset button push the reset button holy crap and then it loads the next level wow it was insane that's scary yes because the whole theme of that game is you're stuck in the danger room so the danger room is putting on these programs and that mojo's world was one of them it's like all right the only way we can get out of this is we have to reset the computer (laughs) it was insane i remember that it's and that's probably like the earliest kind of trick like that that i could think of you wouldn't be able to do that now no i it's it would people would just freak out like this game's broken take it back to gamestop (laughs) it's brutal um Speaking of present day, though, what do you enjoy today? Any games that you've been playing uh, recently? So, I don't have as much time to play games. Uh, imagine that Aww. anymore. <laughs> you should host a video game podcast. You'd, you'd be fun. <laughs> you'd be impressed at how much time you can find when it's your content. Like <laughs> the games that uh, so there's a lot about the current state of games that uh, you know I just I, I don't understand. Yeah, like. Um, this whole uh, people are raving about this Fortnite game. I have yeah. no idea what that is. <laughs> yeah. Um. And honestly, I have I have no interest in these just like multiplayer games. Give me a single player game with an em- emotion and story. You yeah. know, I want an experience like that out of my game. Yeah. Um. So a lot a lot of I I see the game world happening around me, and mm-hmm. I I feel disconnected from some aspects of yeah. it like that. Oh no, totally. Um. So I. I find myself now more appealed um, or um, towards the more indie games. Yeah. Um, so some things that I've been playing recently. Let's see. Um, Everybody has gone to the Rapture. Yep. Um, did you play that? No, I've I've seen it. I know which one you're so talking it's, about. So it's one that they like to lump into the walking simulator. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't know if that's a uh, uh, you know a, a nice term for the game right. or not yeah. adequate, but it's like calling uh, it a millennial. <laughs> <laughs> um, but these games that uh, sort of are the what is left of the legacy of adventure games yeah, now. Yeah, like Myst or something. Yeah, I was I was really big into all of the, the mm-hmm. Myst series as well. Um, Firewatch is one that yep. I, I played recently and just absolutely loved. Tacoma. Uh, I so okay so yeah the the that's the follow up from the Gone Home. Gone Home, folks. Yep. Right, I have not I haven't played it. Yeah, that um, one will be right up your alley then. If uh, yeah, you like everybody went to the Rapture because that's very similar kind of thematically it's you're there after the fact and mm-hmm. trying to figure out what happened as opposed to being a part of anything yeah it's totally on my list you know yeah. one day when right. i have fine if time there's again. time ever the most recent game i played though was uh the remake of metroid 2 oh, on yeah. the 3ds mm-hmm. um and it was fantastic yes they did really um, good with that one i heard i uh it's a similar story, I guess. Or they they went. There's a lot of different ways you can take it when you're remaking a game. You know, mm-hmm. do you do it super faithful, or do you do it? Um, you know, just update the graphics or right. add new content. Right. I really like what they did, where um, they basically created a new game.
game and just sort of retold that story. Yeah. But but they kept the the gameplay true to the spirit of the original mm-hmm. and and sort of the difficulty and everything. Right. The and difficulty. It, that's <laughs> that was the big one. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so it, it was more of a reimagining, and it, it, yeah. it felt great because, you know, it's been forever since I played the original mm-hmm. Metroid 2, but, you know, it was like the, the major notes and beats you could f- feel and be like, oh, yeah, I, I remember this. And, yeah. Um, but that, that's kind of like what they did with one of my all-time favorites was the, the Resident Evil remake um, the, that came out on GameCube. Oh, yeah, that's right. When they remade the, yep. the original. And that was weird because... That wasn't very long. What the original Resident Evil was like ninety six, mm-hmm. and then they remade it in two thousand and one. Right, so like almost five years. Yeah, <laughs> and I, it just recently, I, I feel like I played it recently on PS three or four, even like a, a when re- they did re- the re-release, HD, HD remaster. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> and God, those games—they're so hard to play now. But the back then, oh my God, tank tank controls. Yes, uh, they they wrote the book on that garbage. Yes. <laughs> but that added to the suspense of it. I mean, and that was part of the experience was just not being able to control your character. It's like, no, no, no. Oh, those extra layers. But I, I, I can I definitely see what you're saying with kind of feeling disconnected from a lot of it because there's the simple difference of people that grew up playing games and want to play the game versus people that will watch Mm-hmm. On Twitch, well, that, that, that's and another. Never actually play the game. That's another part of game culture that I don't really understand today. Is mm-hmm. like this thing about watching people play video games, yes. where I'm just like, uh, no thanks, I'll just play the game. Yes. <laughs> so I, there's aspects of it that I've gotten now that I've I've ca- caught up with where it it's more it's it's a crazy thing because it's just like anything. There's a spectrum of people that do watch. So there's people on one end that literally will just watch it to see the game mm-hmm. like they get, can't afford it or aren't going to play it and want to see the story and see somebody play through it there's that angle there's the interactive angle though too where people have like followings and fans and stuff and there's like an entertainment factor to it of watching this person play the game and making jokes and cracking wise and having fun and everybody's interacting and chatting and stuff at the same time. I guess it's like playing, uh, you know, when we would have a friend come over and play Nintendo sitting mm-hmm. next to us. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's getting back to those kind of experiences without having the direct competition because that is, that's a big hurdle that I've talked about with a couple of buddies of mine. It's like thinking back to like the competitive games that we used to play and how frustrating that was like and now i would much rather watch somebody else play in a street fighter tournament than be any part of it myself (laughs) and from the tournaments that i've gone to at ground control too it is like it's it's a gross gross feeling to play and lose and but to stand back and watch other people competing it that's fantastic that's like my favorite part so i'm definitely part of the viewer pool now i've found just through these different little experiences that kind of guided me through it. But I think there's an avenue for most people to find a way into it to some degree versus, yeah, just the, the sit back and watch somebody else play the game all the way through. I could never relate to like, there's there's no way. Like I would love to see there's games that maybe I don't want to play, but I'm interested to see that story or there's games that I haven't beat that now I can go back and watch somebody else finish the game and see what happens. Right. 
I'm thinking of instances where I would get stuck in a game and then mm-hmm. go find a video on YouTube yeah, how and figure to, out you know right. how to get past a certain yeah, point. Absolutely. That's been helpful. That's another thing that's completely different. It's back when we were kids, you would play a game, get to a point where you're stuck, and that's it. It happened to me in Sonic 3. There was um, in the Carnival Night Zone, mm-hmm. there's these weird like cylinder platforms and that would went up and down spin. and would spin. Yeah. I couldn't figure out how to get past it. Like, <laughs> Because you would jump and it would divot just a little bit. It would go down. But you're, I think you're supposed to hold up and down on the controller, and it just never occurred to me. And I literally couldn't beat the level. It was just stuck there. And wow. it's like perfect instance where you would just Google it. Yeah. Like <laughs> today. Like, no, just go to YouTube and watch how to – here's – stage four in sonic three like just that simple so well one thing that i found and i'm sure maybe it's being replaced by the more video twitch aspect of of game culture now Mm -hmm. but i i go to look for um like a walkthrough guide online and there you know back in the early 2000s like you would go to a site like game facts or something and there would just be tons Tons of of people just write these lengthy guides and they you don't see those as much. No. I think now people are just making a video yeah, of it. That's it. You, and that that's like a segment of game culture that, you know, is changing and we're losing that right. aspect of yeah, it. I mean, that was like every every new game, that's the first stop is game facts to see like, okay, what kind of secrets and stuff are in here? Totally. Just, not necessarily to use the cheats, but just to see. Like, no, I oh, want to hey, know yeah, yeah. what am I working towards? Right, exactly. <laughs> Especially, yeah, working towards because there's so many games now where you've got these crazy complicated unlock trees where you get like certain skills and things lead to other things but sometimes there's no map to show you how to get there like right final fantasy 12 i just started playing i just started i put like 40 hours into it now but (laughs) (laughs) that's one where you have to pick job classes for your characters that then lead to specific abilities that they get to use but you can make everybody the same job class potentially and break the game like that that could potentially ruin your experience because you get to a boss that has a certain ability that negates whatever that single class does in your host yeah how would you know <laughs> there's no way to know unless you google it like unless you look it up and see so yeah like i that's a game that i did actually quit the first time because i got to a boss that it would hit you with every negative status under the sun and at a point where you don't have any abilities to counter that or, like, kind of resist any of it, it, I tried twice and said, nope, done. No, just, <laughs> I don't have the, the wherewithal at this point. And now playing it out, yeah, I just blew through it. Like, and you had to – but you restarted it. Yeah, I restarted it because they did a, a re-release recently. Oh. And this is one of – another kind of version of that, that re-release where, like with the, the Metroid 2, where – You've got another spectrum where you can do just a rehash, one-to-one, same game. You've got an improved version, which this Final Fantasy is. And then, yeah, the complete reimagining. This Final Fantasy, what they ended up doing is kind of making their perfect vision of the game. Everything that they couldn't do back then or didn't have time to, now they've been able to add and fully implement. And with the job classes, like we're able to expand that a ton more Hmm. and make it a little bit more... like not transparent but give you a little bit more vision into like where these paths lead and who can do what and when type of thing so it's it's a neat thing to experience having played the game once and quit 
and now picked it back up and been able to get past that. And now I'm seeing things that I never got to see. It's like, oh, wow, I'm surprised by an old game that I've already played technically. So it's it's been wild going through that. But I don't know, like between that and, like I said, Far Cry 5 now, <laughs> that game, I can't wait to do like a, a full deep dive on it because it's insane. <laughs> Have you played any of those? I have not played any of them. Oh. Um, I've, I've watched them come and see people's reactions mm-hmm. to them, and, you know, this one looks uh, pretty crazy. Yes. And it, I don't know, just from the, like, trailers and what I see about it, it looks like they're going... They're, uh, is there, like, a political message in this one? There's... With every almost everything that Ubisoft does, there's a political bent. Hmm. So Watch Dogs is super, like, political. It's, it's basically... You're almost playing as a high-tech Antifa. <laughs> and, like, you're just out to undermine the government and just, like, destroy everything from, like, grassroots hacking stuff. Um, Assassin's Creed has always been into, like, the deep politics of history with, I I don't know, kind of, like, a lot of mixed reality. Because I, I feel like they do deep dives and stuff that you didn't know about but potentially aren't true. Like, it's they're, they're mixing fantasy and reality with that one but then yeah with the the far cry games there's always kind of like a like with this one it's it's a lot more political just in like current climate type stuff but also historical because it's very like it's about cults and it's very jonestown it's right. very like with the the bogwan up there that we everybody's talking about right now like, yep <laughs> so no it's it's very cool but they're games that like this one especially it's very like I don't know, engrossing. It pulls you into the world because there's just so much stuff going on all the time everywhere. And uh, you just feel like a part of it when you're in there. And just, yeah, it's it's a visceral thing. So how, at what point playing the open world game like that, mm-hmm. uh, do you feel like you've had enough? Because you could just keep going, right? That's, that's a thing. With games like this and all the Fallout games, I don't think I've finished any of them except for Fallout 3. I think is the only one that I've fully completed. I haven't finished any of the Far Cry games. I haven't finished any of the other Fallout games. But do you feel completion. like you have the full experience? Because I, yeah, yeah. Because it's like you you play it enough and you you check all the boxes that you just unconsciously need to check, and it's like, all right, I'm I guess I'm good. I'll play something else now. A yeah. weird thing to like you said, where you have to finish every game type of thing. Yeah, I've I've turned a corner on that. I think in especially the open world games in that specifically that I don't need to finish them. I don't even need to see the end of the main storyline cuz there's little check marks along the way, like little side quests that are fun, little stories inside a story that are great and yeah, there's there's plenty of experience to get without even just doing the main thing, which well, is I started wild. noticing that myself with um Zelda Breath of the Wild. Ah, yes. Um I I <clears throat> picked that up and I I probably made it 3 quarters of the way through, but mm-hmm. I haven't finished that and it's it's one day I probably will go back and finish it, but right. I don't feel compelled to yeah. um, because I, I saw and I did so many things and I kind of had my fill and mm-hmm. I was like, okay, maybe that's enough for now. And, yeah. you know, next one of these days I'll probably feel compelled to go back and revisit it. And when I do, there'll be new stuff to see. Yeah. So it's like reading a, a great book, but saving the last chapter, you know, <laughs> right? one day they'll I'll have get something new out of this experience. Yeah, I still, still don't know how Jurassic Park ends, but hey, <laughs> I'll get there. 
<laughs> a book I read in sixth grade. But yeah, no, I, I did finish that though. Lost World, I didn't. But <laughs> anywho, that's that's where I'm at with gaming. I, like I said, <sighs> when you talk about the multiplayer stuff too, like Fortnite and um, PUBG, I just I can't get up in the morning for that. Like I I haven't found the interest yet to dive into either of those because. I really like the concept of this battle royale where you've got 30, 40 people coming from everywhere and it's last man standing. That's, it that's sounds cool. neat. Yeah. yeah. Like, but I want to do that in Far Cry. Like, I, I don't want to play a separate game. I want to have one game that <clears throat> has this core experience. Like, it's got the single player that you can do co op too, which I'm looking forward to with some buddies. But then it's got its own arcade mode and multiplayer stuff on the side as well. So it's like, yep. I'm getting all of that. With those games, it's strictly just multiplayer, just everybody against everybody all the time, and that's it. And it's a real bummer when you spend 30, 40 minutes in a match doing nothing just to die, like, randomly. Like, you're you're getting your gear, you're getting all built up, you're getting the weapon all customized, you're doing all this stuff that you want to do, and somebody just pops out of a bush and you're done. It's like, I would... I'd quit the game after like one of those. Like I would never play it again. So, well, that's why I was so disappointed. I I, I don't own and I've never once even played any either of the uh, Star Wars Battlefront games. Oh no, um, because I the concept of a strictly multiplayer doesn't really appeal to me. Yeah, it's it's it is limiting, and the single player campaign wasn't like that exceptional. Yeah, that, I, that I, series I has always was been bad one. for it. Because Call of Duty does a little bit better with the single-player side. Their their campaigns are always fun. It's like playing an action blockbuster, you know? It's like playing some big explosion Michael Bay film, you know, about war. But the Battlefield ones, like, no, never. It's always been about strictly the multiplayer stuff, which I enjoyed. I really like that because it's it's not the Battle Royale style, one death and you're, you're done. There's a, a match and everybody has got... Each team has, like, 200 respawns, basically, as as a time limit to do whatever the the main mission is and there's different mission types but what i like about that is the the multiple approaches that you can take inside a match where Mm -hmm. there's vehicles there's jets and helicopters and different bases you can spawn on different strategies you could try to do and all these different things that can be done inside that little bubble where it's not just find the guy and kill him it's not just kill die kill die kill die there's other things that make it more dynamic that's what attracts me to that series but same thing like i could see how anybody else wouldn't be attracted to that because there is no story there is no like kind of momentum to it or end game it's just play till you're sick of it (laughs) well i know you know looking back there have been so many star wars games Mm -hmm. uh that that had such incredible stories and were really fun to play and i would just love to i think the star wars universe is ripe for uh with today's technology i would love to see a a new story you know set in star wars we're close but the studio that was closest got shut down um was it visceral yeah i heard about that so that there went that i'm sure it'll get somebody will end up with something i want to say i'm probably wrong on it but i think insomniac might be making something the ratchet and clink guys Hmm. i think they might i I don't know i could be just completely making that up but that would be nice that would be cool i mean if anybody could do something with that license man those guys because those games are incredible too that's that's something if you've never played a ratchet and clink game I have not. Do you what current console do you have? Uh, I have a PS4. Okay, yeah, get the. They have like a 
collection, I'm sure. Or just just get the most recent one. That's got to be like $10 by now. The one that they made a movie with. Yes. The I movie was it. actually like fun to watch. Like It wasn't terrible. But no, that's a uh, classic series. I've played, I think, all of those at some point or another. Even like the PSP one. But Has there been a lot of them? There's been a lot. That's like the 10th one, I think. And it's funny because it's it's a reboot of sorts where it's like it's back to basics and telling like an original new story from like the start-ish and kind of remixing some of the, the different characters and storylines and stuff. But no, those, are, those have always been really good. I was really disappointed when they like changed their exclusive. They went from Sony only to making an exclusive on Xbox. Yeah, it's like it's tough when they make that jump. What? Weird. So yeah, that that was a bummer. But <laughs> um, any arcade games that you were really interested in oh growing up? Gosh. Because I mean, that's that's another thing that yeah, I spent so much time <laughs> in the arcade. Um, my favorite arcade game that I have the fondest memories of was the Aliens arcade game. Yes, where there was like purple and pink aliens, and mm-hmm. you had these flamethrowers, and you know it was just a side scroller, but kind of a beat 'em up. But yeah. even then, like with multiple, like you had the beat 'em up side, then you were like crawling through air ducts, and then yep. you were driving like the the battle tank. Yeah, it was like, like a first person yeah. shooter. Yeah, <laughs> that one is fantastic. It really was. Cool. It, it, it was the first thing to sort of take that Aliens universe and just, like, go crazy with it. Right. And, and then take a little bit of creative license. There was, like, flying, decapitated head aliens. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> the kind of weird stuff you would see in any licensed game on the NES. Right. Stuff from that, you, that era. Yeah. You would never see anything like that today. No. You know, there, there was such a disconnect between the, the, the movie and then the studio that made the game. They probably hadn't even <laughs> watched the movie, really. Yeah, it made me think I was just talking about it, the, the canon films of the 80s Uh like masters of the universe it's like yeah it's it's like you saw a picture of it and said okay i got an idea we can do something with this and all right so we have this character called skeletor and we have this other guy named he-man all right run with that yeah got it all right i'm good here's a script two days later uh but yeah those those crazy games that yeah artistic liberties absolutely but um that one was great um god what else because we had the thing where we grew up with arcades. Arcades existed before we did. We had arcades our whole childhoods, and then we didn't. They just basically disappeared. You had your kind of FunWorks Playland type stuff that's always going to been around. Uh, like a bowling alley that would have a couple of video games now and then. But now we've got a resurgence again with places like Ground Control and Quarter World yeah. and Dave and & Buster's and all these barcades that cater to our generation again it's like are, are we the arcade generation then because yeah, it's interesting <laughs> because you know the, the arcade catered to um a wide demographic of of gamers you know the mm-hmm. casual you know kids in there want to have fun and then you would also have people you know hardcore games and you know fighting games and tournaments right and um then when the arcades kind of went away you lost that um communal people coming together in a location to play games yeah um and so now we're sort of getting that back but you know i I think it's seen more as a retro thing as opposed to uh, a modern something that can actually um the game community as a whole will get behind right yeah because i don't know when i go i i don't know it's hard to say obviously it's my generation because it's 
during bar hours. <laughs> so I don't know how many kids come through there during the day type of thing. But I mean, yeah, it's it's a it's a crazy thing to sit back and realize how they just came and went. They were such a huge part of my childhood and growing up and and of course they're also not making as many games now specifically for yeah. arcades. No. Um there is one game though um i don't know if you've played it at um ground control it's called oh, i'm gonna forget killer queen i believe yeah, is the name the big 10 player yes. multiplayer game Have you played yeah. that i haven't i god oh. getting 10 people together like that's the, the crazy thing but i've watched their tournaments they they it like live stream them and crazy it is that it is, is wild so to watch. much fun yeah totally um, I, I would highly recommend getting 10 of your closest friends together right? <laughs> just to play that game. <laughs> they do have um, like a, what did, he, what did he call it? Dylan was telling me about it. Like they have a, a Monday night, like everybody kind of jump in thing where they'll have a few of the, the people that play in the tournaments and stuff and they'll build teams of whoever's there mm-hmm. and kind of get everybody in and learn how to play it and everything because there's a learning curve to it as well. There is, yeah. Because there's like five different ways to play The controls characters. are really simple, yeah. but it's what you do in the game that's right. complex. And you really do need one person to act as like a team leader and direct yep. everyone else because right. it's all about, even though you're controlling one individual character, it's about having a, a strategy and a mm-hmm. concerted effort. Right. And it's it's about not only the game that you're controlling in the screen, but there has to be communication outside mm-hmm. of the game, yep. too. And there is, like, you see that when you start watching people playing competitively, where they're on it, and it's it's crazy. Like, you just see the strategies happening, and there is. There's always something going on in every corner of the screen, and everybody's doing their own thing, but towards the greater good. And, yeah, it's, it is intense. <laughs> It's an awesome one to watch. You you mentioned Jurassic Park earlier, and that made me think of something. (laughs) Um, Did you ever hear uh, or play? I don't think anyone really played it except for me, Mm. because no one ever remembers this. But there was a game called Jurassic Park Trespasser. Oh, yeah. Um, No, my my buddy Max and I talk about it all the time. Oh. Yeah, because... It, it was actually like a really it, it did a couple of like groundbreaking things but it did yeah. it, but it, it was like you know the first person to do something is usually you know it's it's not done very right. well yeah and I, that i had so much fun with that game mm-hmm. despite how terrible it was yes oh like my god you, you actually contr- it was a first person shooter mm-hmm. but you uh controlled your arm independent of your body yes and, it was just the most so disorienting. Weird. And you would end up like shooting with your hand above your head mm-hmm. while you're getting eaten by a raptor. Right. The game was just because of these really strange uh, pioneering ideas that it mm-hmm. incorporated, it ended up being something just completely bizarre. Yes. But at the same time, there was like it it was it was sort of an open world game with an mm-hmm. objective where you just had to like go from one side of the island to the other. Yeah. And that part was cool because you actually traversed over in real time this open world. Yeah. Um, and it, it relied on like a, a, a heavily on physics puzzles and physics yeah, right. engine it wasn't very good you would have to like Mm-mm. stack boxes right but they would just like fall over you know if you just <laughs> look at them yes it, so it, it was very frustrating yeah. um i don't know if there's ever such thing as a so bad it's good in terms of a video game it might yes. fall in that category it was, i have such a soft spot for that game oh yeah and uh no that one i i do i remember i can't remember if i ever got to play the full game 
but I, I have very clear memories of like this first area and it was probably just a demo that I got to to mess around with but yeah very unique and one of the first one of the first games I can remember that did this thing that I love is when you can see your own body. Yes, you looked. Yeah, you, you looked at a girl. See your, you see your breasts, but yeah. <laughs> and your health meter was a tattoo of a heart right. on your breast. Yes. And as your health went down, the, the heart like, became lost color. Yes. Uh-huh. Like so many weird decisions, but oh, it was great. It was yeah. It was yeah. something. I do love Jurassic, stuff like that. Uh, the history of Jurassic Park video games, that would be an interesting yes. retrospective. Hey, actually, that gives me an idea for a, a topic. I should do that. Is it just a movie coming out? Oh, yeah. Perfect kind of tie-in. Uh-huh. Oh, because there are so many. Like, there is... I remember when the movie came out, I had... I mean, the Genesis one was intense. Those ones were very cool. I really liked the Genesis yes. games. I, they I, were great. I think they're highly regarded in like historical terms too like looking back they're still considered good games but there was that and then the Nintendo and Super Nintendo ones that were completely completely different different directions and I had had one on Game Boy too that was Mm -hmm. the same I had the Game Boy oh god you were like looking for collecting eggs and key cards eggs and key cards and you had like a big bazooka to blow everything (laughs) away with but that was a lot of fun actually and yeah I just remember just the weird like just completely different tangents they were on but still like really good games that stood on their own yeah interesting to see like you have this concept of like okay Jurassic Park we need to make a game and then just give it to completely different studios and see what they (laughs) what they come up with yeah and a weird way of like hedging your bets like (laughs) one of these is bound to be okay right I wonder if that was a conscious strategy strategic decision right like yeah no hey so we this last game that we licensed it was terrible so we'll give it to two different people (laughs) oh yeah, because imagine if there was a ET game for the Commodore 64, right? <laughs> Not just the one on Atari. Which, ah, oh, I just saw um, somebody had posted the instruction manual for ET from the Atari. Okay. Now the game makes sense. Because it was always, that's the biggest complaint about that thing is it didn't make any damn sense. Like, it's just random shit everywhere and there's no explanation how to play the game. Well, there was in the manual. It tells you exactly what to do and what's going on. It's like, Oh, I see what they're doing. Like, <laughs> I remember a very similar uh, Eureka moment. Mm-hmm. I had the Raiders of the Lost Ark on Atari. Ooh. And it, it was, if you didn't have the instruction, it and I didn't yeah. growing up, and I would always try and play it because I love the Indiana Jones. So I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I want to play. And then I would play the game and be like, oh, yeah, this is really bad. It was just be these random objects and without the instruction to know, oh, you have to have that thing and then you can pick up this urn and then, but without it, you're just aimlessly wandering around and there's nothing to do. Man, I had to look it up to see because I, I had played one on NES that was similarly convoluted, but no, this does look terrible. <laughs> oh boy. Because it, it looks kind of like adventure. Yeah, it's kind of, but... But just as cryptic. <laughs> I remember playing Adventure, and I was able to, you know, at least that figure, made more sense. Yeah, I could figure oh, that no. out. It's like, okay, there's a locked door. Okay, it's a yeah. key, a sword for a dragon. Yeah, this has like a world map. I'm seeing too, so that would have been handy to have. Wait, again, googling this stuff 30 years later. Yeah, it makes <laughs> sense. But oh my god, ah, that's funny. Good old Atari. Ah, the olden days. Say so that's another thing the kids will never understand. <laughs> Having to actually imagine what the hell you're looking at. 
Oh. Yeah, playing old games was kind of like reading a book. You know, you would hear the description, you would mm-hmm. see, it, it, your brain would be like, okay, I eye. can accept that that square pixel is, is a character. Oh, God, and uh, that thing that has a duck's beak, okay, that's a dragon. Right? Well, especially, like, again, with our similar childhoods, the cartoons, the toys, the movies, all of that stuff. Like, when you bought a licensed game, and I don't know, it, it got so much better on the NES. Like, everything was much clearer, because I think of, like, DuckTales, like, okay, instantly, the uh, Chippendales. Yeah. Like, those those type of licensed games that were just, like, obviously great. And I think they were the exception as yes, opposed to the rule. Because there's other ones, like, oh, it's hard to think of any examples offhand. But, yeah, with Atari Age, of course, it was. there's no way, no no comparison, but still, like... That that same thing of like where did they come up with this? How did this become like the one that I was thinking of first was Total Recall on NES. Like it had some of the like big swings in the movie, like key scenes where there was like a shootout in the apartment. There was the um what was the other one? The the X ray machine. There was they had that, which was really <laughs> cool because you've got your, your Quaid running around and then you jump behind a red screen and everybody's skeletons. Oh, wow. So that was really neat. But it was such a hard game. So crazy. But then it also had weird stuff like you start the game on the street, like fighting hobos. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I remember this part. And you go into an alley and you're jumping on steam pipes and getting like cans of, I don't know what, like spinach or something. Just like, what? <laughs> like, where? Who? Like, and then there's like a driving segment when you get to Mars. Just I, I don't know. And it was so weird to have both. You know what I mean? It's like you've got, you obviously know parts of the movie. This is more than just like, okay, here's the, the poster, make a game. Like you you know what happens in this movie. What is all this other stuff? And yet you still <laughs> couldn't follow the map. No, it's so weird. <laughs> yeah, I remember playing uh, Terminator 2 on the Game Boy. Ooh. And th- there would just be these random segments where I think you were supposed to be reprogramming a Terminator. And it, w- it turned into like a puzzle game. And oh, you had to like God. line circuits up. <laughs> it's just, no. This is not what I want in a no, thank you. Terminator game. <laughs> right. Uh, another good one was um, the Lawnmower Man games. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I didn't play them, but I can only imagine. Oh, they were horrible. They they were cool for doing like 3D stuff at the time. Like the you would go into the VR levels after doing like side scrolling, God knows what. But yeah, that's how you would like hack into computers to beat the level or whatever. You'd have to go through like a VR game to just how. But then there's like the other ones that were really good, like that didn't have to stick to anything. So they got to really like branch out where that's where you get things like the Ninja Turtles games. Like the, the first one was out there. Like it was, that was a little, a little much for kids. Like I still haven't beat it. I knew very few people that even owned it or played it, but yeah, that was hard. That one was very hard. Like getting past the dam. I mean, God bless you. Like this, <laughs> you're, you're a, a true gamer. If you can even get through that. Was but, that the underwater level? Yeah. 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 Getting I mean, shocked. Just even getting to the water because there was that stupid jump at the end of the level where it's like, you're up against the ceiling and it's, you have to be pixel perfect to, to make it. And then just to find out you have to go through that hell in the water and, oh, and that's not even a third of the game done. <laughs> like, oh my God. But then you got like the arcade game that was so much better. And, yeah. But that's that's a whole thing back in the arcade stuff, like the ports, where the the home version of any arcade game 
was a far, far cry, no pun intended, from <laughs> what the actual game was. Whereas today, consoles and PCs can beat anything an arcade game can do. So that's that was a, a losing battle. And that was, was like kind of a race, even in like the Sega Genesis era. It's like these home consoles can do what the arcades have been doing for decades. So what's what's happening? And yeah, that, that was probably the death knell too. <laughs> it's like I can spend especially parents like to have to like give your kid money take them to the arcade pick them up drop them off do that if you're even doing that or just just pulling the 20 out of your pocket and pushing them out the door like my parents would like that gets exhausting i'm sure where i could just spend two three hundred dollars put this thing in here it'll be in his room don't have to worry like (laughs) i think that was a a turn of the corner as well but oh man somebody should make the uh, now we can make a true lawnmower man vr experience yeah that's that's another thing that's with all the indie stuff it's like i wonder it's like you get an idea like that and it's like i gotta google it just to see because somebody <laughs> somebody has to have thought of that come on right. go oh, get the license nobody, nobody's doing anything with it come on you could do it but yeah we've vr is another thing it's it's crazy like todd has talked about that um that arcade that has like the the different stalls where you can go in and play they have different vr games oh i've seen that i i don't know what they have or if they're like standalones or if it's versions of games that exist or what they do but that's something i would like to check out because yeah i I saw i I, uh was in the mall and for the first time in a long time and i Mm -hmm. saw like that place where you can like rent time to play games and i yeah i'm confused do you like log into your account and so is that the one with the the screens on the wall yeah, it had a bunch like, of sit down. Yeah, it was stuff. like chairs, and they were yeah. all along the wall. Yep. So, I I was looking at that place too because we were there the other day, and that one I think is more towards like party rentals. So you could have a birthday party there because hmm. that's what was going on, and that's what their their sign said. But I don't know like about just walking in and yeah, just pay for an hour and play whatever game they have, or if you do <laughs> like log into your stuff. But like tournaments again. That was another one that they do there, which, yeah, that makes sense. Like, So I, I could see where their business model might go, but I just on a day-to-day basis, it is. It's weird. Like, I don't, it's not an, a walk-in arcade type of experience mm-hmm. that I could imagine. But still, it'd be cool to have that that's something you don't get anywhere and never have as a gamer is just open playability to games that you don't have or consoles you don't have. It's like, yes, I, I might want to switch, but... How could I tell? Like, I can't just go out and try one. You could go to Best Buy or something and play, like, the kiosk for 10 minutes. But, like, Blockbuster, used, like you said, you could rent consoles. Well, you rent just the, the game and try to emulate it. But I used to get the consoles, too. <laughs> I remember doing that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, okay, I'm I'm not going to get a Sega Saturn, but I can rent it and play a few games and then yep. decide that, oh, no, I would rather have a PlayStation. Like, <laughs> that type of thing. Where nowadays there's there's nothing like that. I mean, you just have to decide blindly. Like unless unless you're a lifetime gamer and you have some kind of I don't know sense for it. But yeah, you know, consoles are soon going to be a thing of the past. I was reading an article that was like you're going to basically play a game remotely off of a server somewhere. Yeah, they would rather stream well, everything, right? Which I I don't agree with. I don't like that. I don't like any of these games have to be constantly connected to the internet. The internet no. is not a permanent thing. It's it's very, very limited in regard to that. Like I still I still prefer to buy my games on physical media when yeah. possible. I finally got over it 
and with Steam, I built when I built my PC. Like I've just been been buying everything on there. I haven't even bought like a PlayStation game physically in months now. Hmm. And I that's what sucks too is looking ahead. I don't even see anything that I'm gonna come back for. Like there's a couple VR games that I'll come back for. It's like they they're finally releasing the Rick and Morty one on PSVR. So I'll I'll check that out. But that's kind of it. Like I'm not even interested in like God of War anymore because. I I I've heard now they're almost making a Dark Souls light out of it. Huh. Where you remember the old God of Wars where they're just hack and slash crazy like action and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. This one they're like really slowing it down and making it more like close combat one on one type stuff. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's kind of a you guys were good I at mean, the thing you were doing. If and, I want Dark Souls, I'll play Dark Souls. Right. <laughs> and especially if it's Dark Souls light. Where they don't want to be as grindy and hardcore as that. It's like, well, they're that's not, what makes that work. They're not appealing to me now. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I'm interested to see how that one works out. It's, it takes more than just pretty pictures nowadays. And that's that's the funny thing, too, the, the funny development when you talk back on like the indie stuff. It's not about graphics anymore. It hasn't been for me for a long time. Like Something like Shovel Knight could come out and kick everybody's ass, and it's made to look like Mega Man. Well, yeah, it's like... <laughs> It kind of is about graphics, but in a different way. It's like, what can you do with the graphics? What, True. That we haven't seen before, yep. you know, impress me. But it doesn't have to be, like, more polygons. No. It's just make it pretty, you well, know? Show me something new. That's kind of the thing with um, with Far Cry. Like, I wouldn't say it's pushing any boundaries. It's not like it, it's a groundbreaking game visually. But the way it converges everything that exists, like, when you are up on the road and looking out at a farm. It's like, whatever. But then you turn around and run into the woods. All of a sudden you're in the woods and it's just looking around at the trees. And like, there's like the light rays coming through a little bit of mist and fog. And then like, Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> and the sound design is great. And it's, it's things like that that are like, I would rather just stick to this forever than to see some like super duper 4k high resolution, whatever. Like I would take this in VR for sure but like where where we're talking about going from here like the 4k and 8k it's like i don't know if my eyes care (laughs) like (laughs) this is this is a perfect utilization of what we've got today and like if it never got better i wouldn't mind like it is a weird thing but like with the the retro stuff it's with like like shovel knight to make a game like that 20 years ago well 30 now like the mega man games (laughs) like the hardware was so limited that that's where you'd get like the weird flickers and stuff would disappear if you go this way and come back the enemy like reappears because there just isn't enough ram like well, for the system. Well, it was the limitations of those systems that a lot of times uh, inspired creativity and, and made the games the way they were. True, and made the designers come up with you know creative solutions that they may yeah. not have otherwise come up with. Right. Yeah, if they had just unlimited resources and everything. And so it, it's almost harder in a way to, to make a game in the age of unlimited resources because it, it's almost like you have too many options. Right. And that's, that is, that with like a lot of these Kickstarter games and stuff, I think that's where everybody loses their mind. It's like, but we could do, and we could do this and then this and then this, and then they never do anything. Yeah. <laughs> like Star Citizen, where, <laughs> where that game made tens of millions of dollars on Kickstarter or whatever. And it still hasn't fully released, and it's been like three or four years, and they keep releasing incremental stuff, but it's like, that game will never finish. That It will never be completed. There will never be a physical disc on the shelf anywhere. It's just insane that, that that's where we're at. 
Have you ever contributed to a Kickstarter game? I did. Um, there's a Koji Igarashi, I think, something like that. The guy that basically, I, I can't remember how long he was a part of it, but Castlevania. So he's he's the director, I think director, producer, whatever you want to call it, of Symphony of the Night Yeah. forward. Okay. Well, now that Konami doesn't want to make video games anymore, he's kicked off his own like in the vein of Castlevania called Bloodstain. Okay, I've heard of that. I haven't yeah. looked or but seen I, anything. I just got an update yesterday, I think, of like another production update, which is they number them, so it's it's going to be <laughs> funny. Where is it? 62. Number 62 of the updates. So, that's one that I did. I kicked in for like a a PlayStation 4 like I think digital edition of the game. So it was like 20 bucks or something, but that's one that's been going on for a year or two now. But nice. that's a full-fledged development. I mean, they're doing everything. They've got full, like, orchestration. Like, they've got a composer. They've got full voice acting. They did all the things. They they had all their – they ran out of, um, like, what are they, stretch goals multiple <laughs> times. Wow. When they were doing it. That is a good problem to have if you're yes, a Kickstarter. Right. But that becomes that slippery slope, too, of, well, now we can do this. Now we can do that. Now we can do... So it went from just a core game of a single-player story with a few characters to now there's going to be multiple-player characters. There's going to be multiplayer as well. It's going to be bloated. Yes. It's going to be bloated. And then is that going to take away from the core experience? And right. all those things become big question marks. That And, like, seeing the the development progress, like... It looks really good. It's they've got the right priorities. It's the right people to be doing it. And it's it's a 2D scrolling like castle exploration like it's always been with 3D graphics and backgrounds and everything. Hmm. But that's it. You stay on that 2D plane. There's nothing else. There's no weird like ins and outs and other stuff like yeah, the, the the Metroid remake was kind of like that. Yeah. It's all 3D, but you stay on the 2D plane, and yes. it, it works well. Yes, I love that. I love that format, because that, um, another recent, kind of recent one, the Strider PS3, PS4 game that came out was amazing for that, too, mm-hmm. where it's all 3D, but on a strict 2D plane. And well, oh, yeah. So good. That's kind of funny. Thinking back, um, you know, like more, the Mortal Kombat games now yeah. are that. Yep. But if you think back to, I think it was Mortal Kombat 4 when it came out, it was 3D. They tried and, to do 3D. And they tried to, you know, the, make it where you would walk move in a, around and yeah. with the weapons and stuff. And yeah, it didn't work. Nope. They should have just like, just like they did with Injustice. They should have made a different licensed game or a different kind of avenue instead of calling that even Mortal Kombat because, guys, yeah, you, you blew it. Yeah, it didn't work. <laughs> Nobody talks about it. Nobody ever goes back to that. That's But Injustice, that's another one. that Oh, I love those games. That's That was one that I – with fighting games, it's that same thing of the – I'm against, like, the competition side. I don't enjoy it that much. But that one had an actually, like, fun storyline to play through. <laughs> I dig that, like, because it's, it's more than just, like – pick a character and go fight everybody else and then a boss this one it runs you through a storyline and it jumps from character to character and there's different scenarios and stuff and lots of cutscenes. Yeah, lots of cutscenes yeah. and conversations and stuff that was cool like and it's it runs you through that like superman is evil type of storyline so no that was that was a lot of fun but man yeah video games my god um as a final wrap so we can get out of here um podcasting podcasting wow. hey so you have started to do a lot of that 
you are part of the Fun Employment Radio Network as well. That's right. You've got two podcasts now. We, I think, did you start with Portland at the Movies and then kind of worked with Mark and Todd on the Mark and Todd cast as well? Or? I started, uh, so I first went on the Mark and Todd cast. Um, they wanted to interview the Unipiper, mm-hmm. and, you know, we had such a fun time doing that that um, we decided to, to make the Unipiper have a recurring segment <laughs> on the show weekly. Awesome. Um, so I, I pop in and usually call in my Skype or something and mm-hmm. check in and tell them what's going on in, in and around Portland and what's happening with the Unipiper. Right. Um, and, and then Todd had an idea that we just it was right there just waiting for someone to do and (laughs) it was such a brilliant idea um so he he pitched the idea of a uh podcast movie review show for all of the movies filmed in and around portland Mm -hmm. so um mark uh, middleton uh and and myself we were just like on board like yeah like that that out of the gate there's a lot of uh different interests right there like obviously we all live in portland and um you know we are interested in the movies that have been filmed here mm-hmm. and it just so happens that most of those movies are hilariously <laughs> bad right um and you know we're all into bad movies as well i mean this day and age yes. who's not oh yeah and i the movies that have been filmed in portland are kind of like this untapped treasure trove of bad movies absolutely um and and so we're just kind of been plowing through those i guess not plowing through them we're, we're recording about one movie a month mm-hmm. which seems to be a sustainable pace yeah. for a project like this yep um but at first we were worried we were going to run out of bad movies filmed in portland um you know we, we had a list and in, an initial list of about 10 films mm-hmm. um and since then uh i think we're up to like 50 or 60 <laughs> movies on our list <laughs> they that just w- keep coming out of the woodwork they do <laughs> If you go to IMDb and like you can do like advanced search and type filming mm. location Portland, it oh, comes wow. up with eighteen hundred movies. Oh my god! Um, and you know some of these are made for TV yeah. action films from the eighties, right. and it's just like oh, there's <laughs> so much schlock here, and we're gonna dig it up and polish these turds and absolutely remind everyone oh, of the god. you know uh, film legacy of Portland. Oh, and it's funny too, like the like from a few of them where they they filmed in portland but use it as paris france oh yeah <laughs> london england so that's like- <laughs> always interesting to see it's like when we watch one of these movies we're like all right so what is it going to be is, is is this supposed to be portland right. or is this portland filling in for somewhere yes. else uh. and we just find like good example of that was this film called uh the devil's keep from i think 1995 mm-hmm. and um they it starts in Portland, but then they travel to Europe, and it's kind That's of right. it's kind of like a national treasure. They're jumping around, you know, from Paris to London, <laughs> looking for these historical artifacts. And, and all of Paris and London, they're all filming in different places in Portland yes. to make it look like. And to their credit, uh, there was one shot where they're in in London, and they filmed in Ankeny Square in downtown Portland. And I did not the first time I watched it, it just went by, and I thought it was stock footage of London. Wow, they did such a good job, man. Of, um, so. Oddly enough, just finding things like that to, yeah. to that are right here and they're places you know. It's mm-hmm. a really neat feeling. <laughs> it is. I, I love seeing the like the shots that Todd will put together of the before and after kind of thing. Where here it is in the movie, here it is now today. Yeah. Like current. T- oh, that's that is neat. And God, what was the one? It was that that rib shack. That actually like burned down yeah. recently. Rio's Rib Shack. Yeah, that was in. Which one was that? Uh, that was in Breaking In with uh, Burt Reynolds. Oh my god! 
and because uh, that was like a key place in it too, wasn't it? It was like uh, just you know, a restaurant. The places where the characters went. Okay. And, yeah, because I remember seeing him post that. I was like, oh, crap, that's that place. It was like, what, Snoop Dogg's uncle or yeah. whatever? <laughs> they said they're going to rebuild. We'll oh, see about my God. that. Not well, hold yeah, my breath. There was the whole kind of questionable nature of the fire in the first place. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's fun. Um, the thing I wanted to talk about especially was on the Market Toddcast, you did the, the Brian and Toddcast or the – the Todd and Brian show the other day. Yeah, Todd was out of town. I mean, uh, Mark was out of town. Yep. So we did the songs you know, but you don't know the name of episode, which was incredible and was so annoying to my wife because that's the day we were driving to Clackamas. <laughs> and I was like, every five minutes, you guys would say something like, oh, what's this song? I'm like, I, it's, it's, it's that song from Red and Stimpy. And you come back and it's that song from Red and Stimpy. like, ah! And she's like... <laughs> <laughs> just the whole way I was like okay I'll stop and like, the, the funny one too was I thought I remembered the the Warner Brothers one the piano tune that uh-huh. ends up in the, the bomb the, yeah so I tell her watch I guarantee they're going to talk about this one where you do 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 dong dong literally next thing you, you the whole thing that? like word oh, for word like oh that, my god that's amazing <laughs> I was dying and it's one of those like bittersweet things of podcasts and listening to them it's like uh, listening to it, it was so exciting and got to hear like because I you knew, wanted to talk but I guess but I wanted to be there I was like damn it like oh it's <laughs> uh, I love it but definitely there's, there's so many of those songs you know we I, I could come back one day and we could do a part two right oh yeah absolutely that's just I, I love finding out what those songs are the right. songs that everybody knows well and the origins of them to me. was crazy there's some of those have such crazy stories well because the that was the other one that just literally killed me to death is the like the default Italian music from the the train the the uphill train yeah they call that vernacular 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 yeah. yeah so <laughs> like when I heard it I'm like yeah of course that's an Italian song but what the hell was that board game the grape was, escape the grape escape I was like. Oh my did god! You, did could, you recognize that? Yes, because yeah. I I could hear it. I was singing it in my goddamn head, and like I and then you came around with the same thing. It's like oh my god! Sadly, I think that one was lost on Todd. You know, he, yeah, he, no, he didn't remember that, that one. Commercial. But I was yeah, I was screaming like <laughs> that was great. That was fantastic. But it's so funny to hear like that one. That had amazing history. That it's such a cliche, and it's it's so attached to just like your well, mental st- image of. Italy and, and but it actually is from an Italian thing a historical monument type of thing that God who knew like and to well, even know the name of it or anything that's what but, a lot of music does is it it reduces something to a stereotype just yeah. so you can immediately co- make that connection gosh like every culture probably has that song mm-hmm. that's stereotyping a oh, nation yeah. well and and like <laughs> Todd kept saying Swan Lake. I mean, every every classical Swan piece of music. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's Swan, Swan Lake. Lake. I mean, it's, it's got to be. But it, it, that's another example. It's like all ballet forever. It's, it comes back to Swan this. Lake. And like same thing with like opera. Like there's like one song that everybody would think, oh yeah, it's opera. Like that's it. Like all these identifiers. But then the what was the one the not it's not chopsticks, but it's like that. It's been everywhere forever and had nothing to it was, do. It was even in uh, Super Mario Land on Game Boy. Yes. Oh, God. Man, another. 
Another game that's come up a lot recently in my conversations. For some reason, what the hell? Oh, these weird things. Oh, I love it. But definitely, that's a couple other podcasts that are well worth checking out. I mean, they're they're we so. We do a whole podcast just on uh, music and uh, games. Oh yeah, no, there there was um, there was one I think on this network. I think on Fer there was one that that's what they did. Like every week, they would talk about like a video game soundtrack like, oh, wow. in depth and talk about the composers and what they went on to do and stuff. But one that I like, one of the topics I always like digging into is the musicians behind a lot of the music like with the the michael jackson thing that i did at the the live show how he was heavily involved in sonic 3 right. on that soundtrack that's an amazing story right it's it's there's crazy stuff like that because i know also like rob zombie's done a lot of soundtracks like he did um he worked on nightmare creatures 2 i think i saw the other night but i was pretty sure trent Reznor might have worked on the first one but he also did a lot of work on the doom soundtrack so there's crazy stuff out there like that. And I mean, yeah, when you start digging into it, like... The new Doom or the old Doom? The old Doom. Wow. Yes, the original wow. Doom. I believe he did, like, soundtrack work on that. And it's like, holy shit. Well, that, that was a cool soundtrack. Right. So, I mean, there's there's crazy stuff like that. And it's something that I, I really want to talk to. Like, there's a couple of different musicians out right now that do, like... Um, just like modern electronic stuff and, like, synthwave stuff. And it's like, how are you not making video game soundtracks? How are you not working with these guys? I mean, just go under your pen name, your pseudonym, and make some indie game soundtracks. Like, please, yeah. please. Like, oh, it'd be so great. Such a perfect combination. But like I said, there's so much of that going on already. There's uh, one of my favorite bands, um, Frontline Assembly. They're like an, an, a modern industrial. They've actually been going for like since the 80s. It was one of the founding members of Skinny Puppy, um, Bill Lieb. He started this band like around the same time, like after he quit them and never stopped. But they've been going in the background. Nobody's ever heard of them. They've just been chugging along this whole time. Well, all of a sudden, they one of their sound one of their albums they released was a soundtrack from a game. Wow! And it was it was like a I think I want to say a Kickstarter or like a like a Steam kind of green light game, just uh-huh. like a, a private license, whatever. But yeah, it's like. It, it's out there and I love it. Like, I just, I wish there was so much more of it, but yeah, it's such a great combination. And the, the one that drives me crazy. And I, I just wish I had the connections to like talk to people and see if it was ever possible. Cradle of filth and Castlevania. It's the perfect combination. <laughs> like minus the vocals. Like I think cradle of filth instrumental on a Castlevania game would be incredible. I'm sure somebody has made that video and it's on uh, YouTube. If not, I got to get to work <laughs> because I, I swear to God, that's like the the most amazing thing. And that's one of those things that I wish, like the internet has allowed us this like free and open contact to people. Like you can reach out on Twitter to anybody and potentially get a response. That's something I want to start like hounding. I'm going to make like a troll account just so I can just hammer these people. Like, hey, 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 did you ever think about Hey, hey. Because, God, I want to play at that seed because I want to hear it so bad. That would be a fun party <laughs> game. You <clears throat> pull a celebrity's name out of a hat and see if you can get a response from them on social media. Ooh, and the first person to get a response. <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. That's like a one of those like rich people club games. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to take you to the other side of the world and drop you off with no money. But this, <laughs> we'll scale it back to, let's see, we'll, we'll start a pool. And the first person to get a retweet or a response, like, yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> Look, George, Twi- George Clooney likes my tweet. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> ah, that'd be awesome. 
Uh, so for yourself, what can we plug for you? Where can people find the Unipiper? Well, uh, if they're in Portland, they can just stick their head out their window and listen for the sound of bagpipes. <laughs> yes. Uh, but for everyone else, if you would like to learn more about the Unipiper, then you can uh, check out my website at unipiper.com. Um, I'm on all the social medias mm-hmm. uh, at the Unipiper. Um, and uh, do check out. I have an online store where I've got some uh, fabulous T-shirts, and uh, you already plugged my socks. Awesome stuff. Um, I've got some other fun stuff, too, mm-hmm. like my 8-bit video game Unipiper coasters. Mm-hmm. Hopefully one day we can make that a full-fledged oh, Unipiper. Yeah. Yeah. 8-bit game. Um, if you're a game developer, contact me. Waiting for the action figures, too. Man. Yeah. Or <laughs> bobbleheads. <laughs> with, oh. with real flame action. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yes. We'll work on that. <laughs> awesome. You wanted to know where the Unipipers go, and I think we just uh, figured it out. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yep. Mark this Mark this date, this time. This is when we decided. But, yeah. No. It's awesome. And then waiting for the actual Unipiper game to back up the shirt, too. <laughs> Because with, I think if you talk to somebody at Pig Squad, we could probably get you set up with somebody that for like a game jam would totally make a Unipiper game. I, I can't see why not. And that I mean, would be cool. <laughs> yes, uh, that would be great. We should throw that out there. But yeah. Anything yeah. else before? And if you'd like to hear more from me, you can check out um, my uh, Portland at the Movies podcast. That's at portlandatthemovies.com uh, or listen to it right here on the Fun Employment Radio Network. Oh, man. And then your guest spots on the Mark and Todd Mark cast. Mark and Todd Very cool. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming through. Jason, it's been a pleasure. Awesome. We'll talk again soon. All right. 